morning. Uh, my name is David Soren. I'm the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Hey, before we get into the message this morning, I want to update you on something that is happening here at our church. Uh, you may have noticed, if you've been around here for a little while, that our church is growing fast. Uh, like, really fast. Uh, in fact, our grand opening of this building was just over 14 months ago, and we are already running out of room in this space that we built. Uh, uh, last week, we were within about 15 people at first service of not being able to seat people. Uh, at this service, the second service last week, we actually had a number of people who came in to hear about Jesus, and we couldn't seat them. Uh, and so they watched the service in the meeting room on the TV, uh, which is crazy. It is growing so fast that we, uh, in fact, we added 70 chairs into this room this fall, and I bet you didn't even notice because they were just filled up so quickly. And now, as you can see, there's no more space to add chairs. Take a look around. I mean, we maybe have, we could squeeze you together tighter, but there's not a lot of room even in this service again today. And so this is what we're going to do. Starting on January 8th, uh, we are going to move to having four services on Sunday morning. Uh, they will be as follows, uh, 8 o'clock, 9, 10, 10, 20, and 11, 30. Uh, let me uh, quickly answer what I think will be your two most frequently asked questions. Uh, number one, why are we not adding a Saturday night service? Um, we are not doing so because basically every other growing church uh, in our area has warned us uh, not to. Um, something has drastically changed. Uh, you know, COVID's a huge part of this. Really in the last, I would say, two to four years, where every Protestant church in Minnesota, with the exception of two sort of mega-giga-sized churches, uh, has shut down their Saturday night service. Uh, due to just no one showing up on Saturday night anymore. In fact, I know a pastor who recently tried to start one anyway because everyone's saying, let's do Saturday night, and they can't even fill the room at 10%. And so we really want to respect the advice that so many other churches have given us, and we are not doing that at this time. Uh, number two, another question you're probably thinking in your mind, uh, if you like to think ahead, is if we are running out of room so fast, then what's after this? Like, what's like... Next, next. And all I can say is we have already uh, been working on that for quite a while, and I will be updating you on that quite soon. Okay. Uh, but for now, we need your help, especially if this is your normal service. First service is coming right behind this, but this 1015 is traditionally our biggest service. We've come, you know, last week people were watching again in the overflow. We've come really close to that a number of times, really in the last a month or two. If this is your normal service, we would love for you, when we start this, to consider coming at 11.30. Uh, 11.30 is maybe 50 to 60% full, so there is still room there. Or if you're willing to even come at 8 o'clock, uh, I know that 8 o'clock is early, so early, that in fact, everyone who comes at 8 o'clock gets a free donut or free coffee <laughs> at that service, which is going to be amazing. And if not enough people come, I'm going to tell all your kids that we're doing free donuts. So <laughs> and then that service will be full. Okay. No, I think the 8 a.m. service is a great option if you're an early riser. Um, there are so many of you in this church right now that have babies. And so you're already up at 5 a.m. 8 a.m. is like lunchtime for you. Okay. 
So you can be here. Or even there's a ton of you, you have kids in youth sports. And sometimes you just, you've got like a tournament game at 9.45 or 10 o'clock. This is a way you can still make God a priority. You can come at 8 o'clock and get to a game. And that's a great option too. God's doing crazy stuff here, right? This is the last 14 months. It's insane. And we are seeing a ton of people come to Christ every single week. Just saw another one at first service, okay? The Lord is doing something. But this is a place where we come together as a church and we, there's some sacrifice here. But we do it so that when a lot of you, you're bringing your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers to hear about Jesus, I want them to have a, be able to have a place to sit down and hear the gospel. And that means we sacrifice. It will not be forever, too. Let me say that. It'll be for a season. Okay, so pray about that. Consider that. That starts January 8th. Okay, let's jump into our message. Uh, we are in a series uh, called Names of God. Where for five weeks, we're taking a look at some uh, fairly unique names of God in uh, the scriptures. And this week, we're taking a look at the name Yahweh Jireh. So maybe you've heard the song on the radio or you're streaming, right? And you're singing along, Jireh, just like that, but way better, right? And you're like, what? I'm singing the song, but I actually don't know what I'm saying right now, right? Well, we're going to talk about that today. What does Jireh mean? What's kind of the historical background behind it? We're going to dive into that. So everybody grab a Bible. Uh, there's Bibles under the chair in front of you or under your chair if you're in the front row. We are going to the beginning of page 14 today. So really early in the Bible, Genesis 22. We're going to read a story about Abraham and Isaac. Uh, Abraham is a, a father of the Jewish nation, really. And God has promised... Abraham and his wife Sarah that they're going to have a baby named Isaac and it's through Isaac that their family line will become not only incredibly influential but as numerous as the stars and in today's story Isaac who was that baby is now a young man and God is going to test his father Abraham in a mighty way so we're actually going to read the whole story straight through today and then we're going to talk through what it means for us so here we go genesis chapter 22 and we're going to start right at the beginning of the chapter it says sometime later god tested abraham he said to him abraham here i am he replied then god said take your son your only son whom you love isaac and go to the region of moriah sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Now, if you've never read this story before, it's just like, I'm sorry, what? Right, that's, that's a crazy ass. This is going to be a crazy test, right? Okay, verse three. Early in the next morning, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with, with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. He replied, do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up 
And there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Okay. Now, amazing story, right? But maybe you're thinking, that was really cool, but where was the gyra part, okay? You are an astute thinker, my friend. Okay, now the book of Genesis was originally written in Hebrew, and gyra is actually a Hebrew word. And so look at verse 14. That's where it comes from. If you look at verse 14, you see the part where it says, the Lord will provide. Now, the original Hebrew there says, Yahweh Yaira. So the Lord is Yahweh in Hebrew, and will provide was Yaira. Now, today in English, in our language, we'll often say Yahweh Jaira, or in the past, people used to even say Jehovah Jaira. And I could spend another 10 or 12 minutes for you, and we could talk about all the different reasons for each of the versions of the name. But honestly, a good part of the differences are like the difference between saying Jesus or Jesus, okay? And so don't get too caught up in the differences in pronunciation. The point is, Abraham is naming this place, and thus who God is, as Yahweh Jireh, the Lord will provide. And that's who he is. Okay, so if you know this, if you know that God is Yahweh Jireh, like Abraham knew, how should that impact your life? What should this look like? Let's talk through this passage. So here's the first thing that we see. Number one, if God really is Yahweh Jireh, the one who provides then you, as his follower, you can walk in his path, you can walk in his ways, even when you don't know all the answers. Because he's the provider. I mean, think about how this passage starts out. God says, Abraham, go to Moriah and sacrifice your son. I mean, how many of you are obeying that command, right? It's crazy. I mean, it's an absolutely difficult request. And also, think about how many questions Abraham didn't get to ask. Like, I'm just going to start with the question, like, why? Like, why? No, seriously, why in the world would you want me to do that? Well, I would ask, like, how? I don't get it, because you just told me that Isaac was going to be the one through which my family line was going to be blessed. So how's that going to work? And why would you have me do a child sacrifice? Because unlike all these wicked pagan nations around me, you don't do child sacrifice. And why do we need to walk three days? And what's so special about Moriah? And why and why and what? Abraham doesn't get answers to those questions. The details aren't filled in. And yet, because Abraham believes that God is Yahweh Jireh, verse 3 tells us that he gets up early in the morning. And he gets his donkey ready, and he starts walking. And for whatever reason, I feel like the Lord keeps leading our church to this theme in the Bible. You know, we saw an incredibly similar thing uh, in Joshua earlier this summer. I know some of you are new even since then, but in the early parts of Joshua, when we were going through that book, we saw the part where the Israelites are about to go into the promised land, but the Jordan River's in the way. And God says, if they want to see him do this amazing thing, they actually are going to have to put their foot in the river first before it parts. Well, it's the same sort of thing with Abraham here. I mean, if Abraham does what I think a lot of us would do when he says, God, I'm going to need some answers first. So why don't you sit down and start explaining yourself? Now, if if Abraham treats God like that, then what happens? Well, what would happen is Abraham actually would never get to see God provide. And I think God keeps bringing passages like this to our church because I think some of us probably need to hear that again. Maybe God has been nudging you to leap out in faith 
And he's wooing you to something, but you just keep saying no because you don't know all the details yet. Some of you, he's wooing you, he's calling you even into leadership positions here at this church as we're growing so quickly. And you're saying no because you don't know exactly how it'll work. Some of you, he might be calling you to consider a missions work like the Henkevelds. He may be calling you to start a new business. Maybe he's calling you, you've been reading the Bible and you're seeing how important community and fellowship is, especially in our isolated culture. And he's wooing you, he's saying, get into a house group like one of the ones we're starting in January. And you're going, ah, I don't know, I got some questions. Maybe he's telling you to get into Christian counseling. Maybe he's telling you to invite over your unsaved neighbor for dinner. And there's all these things that I think the Holy Spirit whispers to our heart, but a lot of us, we don't know all the answers, we don't know all the details, so we're just going, yeah, but what if they don't like me? What if it doesn't work? What if it's weird? What if it's what? And so we don't do it. And listen to me, if you're actually going to see God do an amazing thing, if you're going to see Yahweh Jireh, in your life, that means that you actually have to start doing some of this and some faith and some walking before you know all the answers. That's a pattern that we see over and over again in the scriptures. And you know, one of the reasons I think Abraham can do this in Genesis chapter 22 is because if you go back a few chapters in Genesis, Abraham had a trial run in this. In fact, we read that God called Abraham to leave his home and go to a land in which I will show you, the Lord said. And so he's just supposed to pack up and move to a different place, and he didn't even know where it was, and he did it. And he saw the Lord provide. By the way, you know what's interesting? I've uh, only actually preached on the life of Abraham uh, one other time in my 18 years of teaching, and the other time was in the fall of 2014, uh, when our young a small renovation church began that fall raising funds to buy land somewhere. Because here's the thing about buying land. You can't actually buy land. I don't know if you know this or not. You can't buy land if you don't have money. Um, and so we began this process of like, okay, God, I told our church, I said, listen, God is calling us to this. We need to do this. He wants to amplify what is happening here in this rented elementary school at a much greater level, but we don't know how, we don't know where, we just know it's time to start walking, right? Yahweh Jireh, the Lord will provide, and he did, and he did. And see, I think it just all comes back to there's this Christian discipline of always, every day, forcing yourself to remember who God really is. And so when your anxiety comes on, I mean, what is anxiety? I mean, so much of it is just a fear about how the details are going to work out, right? Because you don't have all the answers. And when your anxiety comes on, one of the best things you can do is you remind yourself of who he is. Some of you in this room, I think you literally, tonight, you need to lock yourself in a room and you need to get on your knees. And you need to say, God, show me again. Remind me again that you are Yahweh Jireh. You are the provider. And you just tell him, you say, Lord, I know you will provide. I don't know how. I don't know when. It might not even benefit me, but I trust you. I trust your plan. You are Yahweh Jireh. So tomorrow morning, help me load up my donkey and start walking again. I think there's another important truth in this passage, and that is this. If this is who God is, if he is really Yahweh Jireh, then you can trust him. You can walk in his path even if it looks really, really hard. 
Because it's not just that Abraham doesn't have all the answers. It's like, this is insanely hard. I think one of the reasons that God gives us this story is, I don't even know if I could think of a harder call than that. Like, what could be harder than sacrificing your son, right? And so I think the question for us is, what is God calling you to right now that's just hard? Yeah, maybe for some of you, it would be just to obey God and put away a specific sin in your life. One that you've maybe felt convicted of lately, and you know that this thing that you're doing, it's going against God. But you also know that if you walked away from that, it would be really hard. It would actually cost you to walk away from it. But I would just say to you, who is this God you came to worship this morning? Is he Yahweh Jireh or is he not? Is he more than enough? And maybe for some of you, you need to surrender a part of your life that you have possibly made more important than God. I mean, I think it's probable that 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 is really what God is testing in Abraham, right? Because Abraham has finally had this beloved child, Isaac, with his beloved Sarah. And and really, that's kind of where all of his hopes lie. And the question is, does Abraham love Isaac even more than he loves God? And so I think God would ask a lot of us, are you prepared to surrender everything to me? Like, let's say God showed up this afternoon, right? You just finished watching the Vikings get another win. You're feeling really good about that, right? It's like 3.30 in the afternoon. He shows up in your room, and he says to you, is there anything in your life that I could ask of you, and you would say no? What do you think of that? I mean, what if God asked you to quit your job? Some of you are going, I've actually been waiting for him to ask me that, right? <laughs> no, I said, what if you love your job, right? What if he asked you to quit it? What if he asked you to break up with the person you're dating? What if he asked you to sell your home, move to a much smaller home, and then give away your resources? I mean, where's the line? Is there a line that you have where you would say, no, not that? And I think we're prone to tell him no, But as we learned in Colossians, the spiritually mature follower of God is indeed the person who puts Jesus over everything. It's the person that says, God, if you ask for it, I will surrender it even if it's my Isaac, my most prized possession. But I just feel like so few of us are at a place where we could literally say that to God. We are still convinced that things will go better. I know you said that, God, but I'm convinced that things will go better if I just stay home and I hold on to my Isaac. And I would submit to you this morning that the reason we think that is that we don't really know God as Yahweh Jireh, the God who provides even when we offer up our Isaac. Look at the faith of Abraham. It's pretty amazing. Verse five. Abraham tells his servants, we, we, that's both Isaac and himself, will come back to you. Yahweh Jireh. Look at verse eight. Isaac says that, you know that statement that's like, I feel like it's the most awkward verse of the text. Father, where is the lamb? (laughs) For the offering, what does Abraham say? He says, God will, Jireh, the Hebrew actually says Jireh again there, will provide. How, 
How can a person have such faith? I don't, I'll just be real with you. I don't feel like I have that sort of faith. Like, that's just next level faith. How do you have faith like that? Faith where you don't know any of the answers, it's the most hard thing in the world, and you're going, yeah, I'm going forward. How? This is what I think the scriptures tell us. Not just Genesis 22, but the context of Genesis. Abraham is able to have this sort of faith because remember, God has promised him that it is through Isaac his line will be blessed. blessed. And God always keeps his promises. And Abraham is holding on to that, okay? I actually love how Hebrews describes this story in the New Testament. Let me just read this to you on the screen. Hebrews chapter 11 says this, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He, so Abraham, who had, I love this phrase, embraced the promises, okay? He's gripping, he's holding on to the promises of God, was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned, be counted. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So here's the thing. Abraham, he's still stressing in his mind about the scenarios and questions. He's a human being, okay? And yet, as he's walking up that mountain, he keeps telling himself, Abraham, Abraham, keep walking. Keep walking. God doesn't break his promises. Keep walking. Keep walking. Even if he has to die, God's just going to raise him from the dead because God always keeps his promises. And this is why we talk so often about knowing the Bible, studying God's word. I urge you, study the promises of God in the Bible. If you don't know any promises, Google it. Look it up. Find a couple of them. Memorize them. Put them deep into your heart. Because as Raymond Edmond once famously said, never doubt in the dark what God has told you in the light. Because the truth is, some of you in this room right now, maybe 10 of you, maybe 20 of you, are already right now actually in the middle of the hardest journey of your life. You are halfway up the mountain to Mount Moriah on this call that God has you on. And if that's you, listen to me. Right now in your life, I am sure that it feels dark. And I'm sure that you feel kind of like Abraham and the the scenarios and all the questions are just going crazy in your mind right now. And the journey has been so hard. But what I'm saying to you is never doubt in the dark what God has told you in the light. And he has told you that he is Yahweh Jireh. And so you keep walking. Keep walking. Keep going. He is the provider. He will provide. Keep walking. In his timing. In his way. He will provide. And so you don't have to doubt his provision. You don't have to doubt uh, his goodness. Even Even if his provision ends up looking really different than you ever pictured it would. And here's why you don't have to doubt it. This is the third point. You can walk in his path. You can keep walking even when it's so hard because he is the one that provides for your deepest need. And that's what we see in this passage. Let me show you what I mean. Look now to the very end of the passage. So Abraham has you know, where God has provided a ram to be in the place of Isaac. And then look at verse 14 one more time. It says, so Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. That's Yahweh Jireh. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Well, what's that? On the mountain of the Lord. Which mountain are we talking about? Well, it said earlier in the passage that we're on Mount Moriah. Now, Mount Moriah is actually incredibly significant in the Bible. In fact, 
if we were to fast forward in history, so right now we're at about 2000 BC, if we were to fast forward in history to about 1000 BC, we'd be in about 1 Chronicles 21 in the Bible, and we would find that there is now a new young country of Israel, and its king is King David. And in 1 Chronicles 21, King David has sinned against God, and as a punishment, because he's the leader, as a punishment, a plague breaks out against the people. And much of the countryside is dying, and there's an angel who's basically been commissioned by God to bring this plague. And just as the angel is coming down the mountain to this brand new capital city of Jerusalem, God, in his mercy, stops the plague. And we're told in 1 Chronicles 21, 15, that the angel of the Lord was stopped from spreading it any further right when he's on like the threshing floor of Orana, it says. Well, where is that, and why does that even matter? Let me show you a map. Okay, so take a look at this. This is the city of Jerusalem, uh, circa 1000 BC, right here. And it's kind of down here, and then up on here, there's the highest point, right? This is a, a mountain. Guess what the name of this mount is? You want to guess? It's Mount Moriah. Right here is the exact same place. Really, when nothing was here, that a thousand years earlier, God, in his sovereignty and in his mercy provided a substitute ram for Isaac. Now at the exact same spot a thousand years later, he shows his mercy again. So much so, David recognizes this is such a special piece of land. He buys it himself, he sets up an altar, and there's a substitute lamb, again, that is provided. God is so approving of this, he actually sends down fire from heaven on the altar. Well, Solomon comes along, David's son, next generation. He knows that God is doing a special thing. And Solomon decides agreeing with his father, David, that it's time to build a permanent place for the Jewish sacrificial system, a, a temple, because they wanted to have a place where people could see every day that God mercifully provides a substitute to die in our place. And guess where Solomon builds the temple that we talk about so often in the Old Testament? Let me show you a map. Here's the map now of Jerusalem a generation later. It has expanded, and what is right on the top of Mount Moriah? It is the temple. And now for the next thousand years, I'll be with a short break in between, every day on this exact same spot, the same spot where God showed mercy to Abraham and Isaac. He showed mercy to David. Now every day, there's a substitute provided who gives us mercy for a thousand years. We go forward another thousand years, and Jesus Christ has come to earth. And once again, I mean, this could have been anywhere in the world. Once again, you have a story of deliverance. And Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, is sacrificed right here down at the bottom of Mount Moriah. There's a little hill that goes up we call Calvary or Golgotha. And Jesus Christ is the substitute. Look at verse 4, if you could, on your passage. And sometimes people say, oh, the Bible is just like fairy tales. And look at the amazing... I mean, this is written so far before Jesus comes. Look at the amazing sovereignty of God here. Verse four, now think of Jesus. It says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, now it's Jesus. Go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there. Amazing. And see, this time on Mount Moriah, God provides for your deepest need by providing a substitute to be sacrificed for you. Because the truth is, 
we've sinned, I've sinned, I'm not perfect. Sometimes my life is just messy, right? And I believe it's the same in your life. We've sinned against a holy and a good God. And for our sins, because he's a just judge, we deserve our judgment. It should be you and I up on Mount Moriah waiting for the just judgment of God. But just as God has done all throughout history, he in his mercy has provided a substitute. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for your sins. He was dying in your place. And what this teaches from the beginning in the book of Genesis all the way to Revelation is that Jesus Christ is the Lamb. And if you would believe in that, if you would say, I trust you, I believe that you died for my sins, I want to make you the leader of my life, I want to get rid of my old life, I want to start following you. If you would do that, that not only would he forgive you because he's dying for you, but that he would come into your life. You know, Jesus Christ is in this room right now. And he can come into your life and he can change you from the inside out. And not only that, you can have eternal life with him. You'll have eternity, if you make this decision, eternity in heaven and not in hell because he has paid for your sins. But it starts with a decision. It's the most important decision in all of life for anyone. And so if you've been thinking about that the last month or so, you're like, I need to cross the line of faith. I need to make that decision. Or maybe it's just hitting you in your heart this morning. I want to give you a chance to make that decision today. So what I'm going to do here in a minute is I'm going to pray, just kind of wrap up this message, and then we're going to sing a final song. As we start that song, I'm going to head out quickly to the lobby. And during that song, if you need to make a decision to follow Jesus, what I want you to do is just kind of sneak out of your row and just open the doors and kind of meet me out out in the lobby. Our our follow-up team will be out there. We'll catch you right when you walk out. And I'll kind of give you next steps. So, okay, if you're making this super monumental decision, then what do you do next, okay? So if you need to do that and you can feel it, then anytime they're in the sign that you come out and I'll, and I'll talk with you, okay? All right, let me pray. Lord, we thank you uh, just so much for your, your brilliance, your sovereignty of just weaving the story of mercy throughout your word. And God, we just thank you and we remember this morning who you are, that you are Yahweh Jireh. You are the provider. God, help us if we've lost sight of that and the journey has been really hard to walk on. God, give us the strength to put one foot in front of the other today and to just walk today in your, in your path, trusting that you will provide. We love you so much and we worship you now. In your name we pray. Amen.